Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be here. So thank you that some of you managed to come rather than go to the beach. So uh, thank you very much. And uh, I would just like to really compliment Ali on the choice of her songs. I thought uh, she'd selected some very good songs this morning. I thank the music group for leading us in a time of praise and worship. And um, you will know if you've been coming here that uh, we have been looking at some psalms uh, over the summer. And praise the Lord that whoever divided out the psalms has actually given me a very nice psalm, a really good psalm to speak on. I'm awful glad I didn't get the psalm about lamenting. So somebody was very kind. But before I start, uh, let me just say a quick prayer. Almighty God and loving Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to share something from Psalm 52. And I ask for your help. I ask that you'll just help me to communicate uh, something of what you have spoken to me over these last few weeks and that I may be used by you to edify people and encourage them in seeking after you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a very, very interesting psalm, and I have thoroughly enjoyed studying it, and I hope really that I can communicate something of the excitement, the blessing, the benefit that I have personally received from studying uh, this psalm. And it's Psalm 52, and I'm just going to read the first few verses to start with, and it starts like this. For the director of music, a maskil of David, when Dorg the Edomite had gone to Saul and told him, David has gone to the house of Ahimelech. Why do you boast of evil, you mighty man? Why do you boast all day long, you who are a disgrace in the eyes of God? Your tongue plots destruction. It is like a sharpened razor. You who practice deceit, you love evil rather than good, falsehood rather than speaking the truth. You love every harmful word, oh, you deceitful tongue. And the great thing about this psalm is right at the beginning, you get a background to David writing it. And it's about Dug the Edomite. And you can find the story if you go back into 1 Samuel chapter 21 and 22. And I'm just going to praise it, okay? So simply, David has been a very faithful servant to King Saul. But he had become popular. And people really liked David. And King Saul became incredibly jealous of David. He became so jealous of him that he wanted to kill him. And David formed a friendship with Jonathan, and then they realized that Saul wanted to kill David, so David fled. 
And he goes to this small village or town called Nod. And there he meets Ahimelech. And Ahimelech is a little surprised and a little concerned because David is on his own. And, he, and David says to Ahimelech, have you got any bread? I need some bread. Well, the only bread he had was consecrated bread. And he asked him, you know, about the men. Where are the men? And David said, I'm on a special mission. And I'm meeting the men later. I had to come in a hurry. So he gives him this special bread. And then he said, do you have a sword? Because I, I had to come in a hurry. He said, the only sword I have is Goliath's sword. You can have that one. And although it doesn't say in the text, he must have also asked Ahimelech to inquire of the Lord. So Ahimelech inquires of the Lord, and then David leaves. But there is one man who's watching, and that is Dog the Edomite. And he is a shepherd. He is the chief shepherd of Saul. Now you can imagine that Saul is incredibly angry. And he is absolutely furious that people have not told him about the friendship between his son and David, and that David has fled. And there is Doug the Edomite, and Doug says to Saul, I saw David. I saw him with Ahimelech. I saw him inquiring of the Lord. I saw him giving him the bread of the presence of God, and I saw him give a sword. And so Saul calls Ahimelech and all his relatives, and they're all priests, and he calls him to come, and he starts threatening Ahimelech, and he said, you are conspirator, you are conspirator, whatever that word is, conspiring, you are conspiring with David. And Ahimelech actually defended the faithfulness of the servant David. And now Saul is raging, and he says to his guards, kill Ahimelech and all the priests, kill them. But nobody would. So he says to Dog the Edomite, you kill Ahimelech. And he pulls his sword. And not only does he kill Ahimelech, he kills 85, 85 priests from the town of Nod. And if that wasn't enough, he then goes and he kills the women, he kills the children, and he kills the babies. One person escapes. One of the sons of Ahimelech escapes. And he goes and he finds David. He tells David what has happened. And this is David's response found in this psalm. And you read the first seven verses about Dog the Edomite. Now he focuses on his tongue, but we know that the tongue speaks what is in the heart. We know the tongue speaks out of the abundance of what is in his heart. So the razor-sharp tongue, the deceitful tongue, the evil tongue, is really describing what is in this man's heart. And as I thought about this psalm, 
doesn't he represent so many people we know in today's world? There are many malicious, evil people causing death and destruction. Some of you will know I run a small charity and I am blessed to meet many amazing people, but I also get a lot of very sad stories. People who've been tied into their huts and their huts have been burnt, villages destroyed. How can people do that? How can they be so cruel and inhuman to tie somebody in their hut and to burn them? I have pictures of two Christians who are in a brick kiln in uh, Pakistan. They were covered with acid, so badly burnt they died. What a terrible way to die. How, how is it possible that people's heart can be so cruel and callous that they kill people like that? We live at the moment when a man called Putin can set off a war that kills so many people. Terrible atrocities. So many people are dying. And it isn't just Putin. You know, some of these soldiers, how can they do it? Tying up civilians and shooting them in the back. Raping the women, the girls. Bombing hospitals. Bombing houses of babies. How can they do it? And that is the truth. I happened to be in Tajikistan. And while I was in Tajikistan, one afternoon I went out into Shambhe and all the roads were blocked. Absolutely, all the cars were at a standstill. And I walked down to the main road. And I knew that Putin was in Dushanbe at that time. All these policemen were out. You couldn't walk across the road. No cars could go on this main road. And while I'm standing there, seven cars go whoosh, 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 rushing past. And I thought to myself, in one of those cars is Putin. And then I thought to myself, if I had a gun <laughs> and I was standing before Putin, would I shoot him? I don't know. I hope I wouldn't, but I don't know. <laughs> but the dilemma quickly passed because I knew I would never have that opportunity to stand in the presence of Putin with a gun. But because I'd been reading this psalm, I took comfort in the next few verses. It says this, verse 5, talking about God, surely God, you will bring, uh, surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. He will snatch you up and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see and fear, 
they will laugh at him saying, Here now, here now is the man who did not make God his stronghold, but trusted in his great wealth and grew strong by destroying others. And at that moment, my mind went to those verses. God always does what is right. God always does what is right. And there will be a day of judgment. And on that day, every single person will come before God. And on that day, God will do what is right. I was thinking back how many of the parables that Jesus taught were actually about that judgment day. And I'm sure many of you will remember them. But there was the parable of the sheep and the goats. And Jesus said, on that day, the Son of Man will come in all his glory and he will sit on the throne of heavenly glory and he will judge between the sheep and the goats. And like a shepherd, he will divide the sheep from the goats. The sheep will go to everlasting life, but the goats will go to everlasting punishment. What about the parable of the wheat and the weeds, or the wheat and the tares? A farmer goes out and he sows good seed in the soil, but an enemy comes along and he sows the weeds. And when they come up, you see the wheat and you see the weeds. And the servants say, shall we go out and pull out the weeds? And he says, no, because if you pull out the weeds, you may also affect the wheat. For the day will come, the day of harvest will come, and I will send out the angels, and they will pull up all the weeds. And all that is sinful is going to be thrown into the burning furnace, for the wheat is going to be collected into his barn. What about the, the parable of the wretched tenants? The landowner makes a vineyard and he puts a wall around the vineyard and he creates a vine press and a tower and he gives it to the tenants to look after. But when it is harvest time, the landowner sends some servants to get his rightful tithe, but the tenants do not give the servants the tithe. In fact, they beat them and they kill some of them. So he says, I know what, I'll send my son. And you know what happens? They kill the son. And the parable says, what will that landowner do to those wretched tenants? 
he will throw them out and he will give the vineyard to somebody else. What about the story of the ten virgins? Five are ready, five are prepared, but five are not. And the door closes and the five virgins come and they're knocking on the door. Let us in, let us in, let us in, they call. But a voice from within says, I never knew you. I never knew you. God will always do what is right. There is a day of judgment. And if you look in the book of Revelation, Revelation 20, you get this white throne. And it says, every nation, everybody is going to come before this throne. And twice it says, they will be judged according to what they have done. They will be judged according to what they have done. But, but, praise God for his grace and his mercy. Because if you have played Monopoly... I don't know how many of you play Monopoly, but if you play Monopoly, you will know that there is a card, a get-out-of-jail card. And God has given us a get-out-of-jail card. He's given us a card to get out of his judgment. A free pass into heaven. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son so that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. What a responsibility we as believers have with that knowledge. Few of us are Billy Graham's, even Oscar Penheros or Nick Pollard. Few of us are really upfront evangelists. But surely, surely that knowledge should give us a care and a concern for the lost. And I would just say that if we have no care and no concern for the lost, I'd ask you to pray and ask God, please God, give me a concern for the lost. May I, may I truly be concerned about those who will spend eternity lost from your presence. And then I'd say also, ask the Lord, what can I do? We work better as a team. You know, I'm not an upfront evangelist. I'd love to lead people to Christ, but we work as a team. We all have a place to make disciples. When I was in Tajikistan, I met this lady called Tanya. Now, Tanya <laughs> is one of those really big Russian ladies, really big, powerful lady. And yet, when I met her, there was a lovely smile on her face. 
And there was something that was gracious, there was something attractive about her. And this was a mother and uh, children's unit. And we go into the mother and children's unit. And what impressed me, the walls were clean, the carpet was clean, there was peace in that place. So she obviously ruled it well. But what I noticed, the children loved her. These children really loved her. And she started to give us her testimony. And she said this, she said, my husband tried to change me, but he failed. Jail tried to change me, but it failed. But Christ came into my heart and changed me. I didn't used to love children, she said, but you could see now she had a real love for children and the children loved her. And when we left that place, the pastor said to me, oh yeah, Tanya killed her husband with a hammer. Huh? But you know, somebody must have shared the gospel with her. Somebody took the trouble to share the gospel with her. And somehow, through the grace of God, she opened her heart and received Christ. No one is beyond the grace of God. However, I probably used more of my time than I should. I am sorry, Ali. But, remember, before I read the next book, remember, David has been rejected. David is running for his life. He's in hiding. He has just learned what Doug has done, killed 85 priests, their wives, children, babies. And this is the psalm that he is writing. I'd imagine he felt pretty guilty. But this is what he wrote. And this is what I've been thinking about for the last few weeks. Verse 8. But I am like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. I will praise you forever for what you have done in your name I will hope, for your name is good. I will praise you in the presence of your saints. Tremendous amount there that could be unpacked. But for the last few weeks, I have been thinking about David as an olive tree flourishing in the presence of God. And I've been thinking about that. And I've been thinking, how can I be like David? Like an olive tree flourishing in the presence of God. And I don't know whether you like olives or not. I didn't used to like olives, but I do now. And when you bite into the olive, suddenly you get this burst of flavor in your mouth. And I thought, that's 
would I like to be? I'd like to be like that olive tree, flourishing with life, with vitality, with fruitfulness, with my life rooted deep into the love of God, deep into the goodness of God. I would like to be like that olive tree, flourishing with strength and vitality and life and fruitfulness, with my roots into the deep love of God and into his goodness. And I've been thinking about that, and I don't have all the answers. But let me also tell you, I quite enjoy cycling. And sometimes I cycle with Paul Harkner sitting there. And one of our favorite cycle rides is to cycle. We go through Victoria Country Park to Netley. We get the little pink ferry from, uh, from uh, Hamble across to Wars Ash. And we cycle along to Titchfield Haven. And there's a nice little cafe at Titchfield Haven. And wouldn't you know, we normally have a coffee and a cake. Anyway, on this particular time, beautiful, beautiful day, we sit on the wall watching the sea and and out there there are children and youth sailing and we're watching them and then I notice coming out of the little harbor is this old-fashioned sailing boat with an old sails and I watch this guy sailing and he is he is tacking to catch the wind tacking to the right tacking and he and sometimes it doesn't seem as though he's making that much progress but he gets the wind into his sails and he is moving. And it got me to thinking, how do I put up the wind of my sail to catch the Spirit of God? How do I set sail to catch the wind of the Spirit of God? Because... Unless God initiates it, I cannot come into his presence. It is only if God invites me into his presence. It's only as the Holy Spirit helps me will I ever live my life in the presence of God. So I've been thinking about this. How can I put up that sail? I'm sure there's many different ways, but for for me, I thought of two things. One, of course, is obvious, it's prayer. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So it's asking, it's seeking. And it all says, says, we should worship him and in spirit and in truth. And it's my experience that as you genuinely worship and start singing and adoring and lifting up the name of Jesus, somehow you catch the wind of his spirit. I need God's spirit. Heavenly Father, I so want to be like David. I want to be like that olive tree flourishing in your presence, flourishing with life and vitality.
with my life deeply rooted into your love and rooted into your goodness. Spirit of a living God, will you burn within me, burn within me a desire to know God better, to love God better, to serve God better, to honor God better. To be in your presence, to sit at your feet, this is my desire, O Lord, this is my desire. To be in your presence, not rushing away, to cherish each moment, here I would stay. This is my desire, O Lord, this is my desire. Sorry for my singing, it's pretty awful, but, but, God has done something through this psalm for me. That is what I want. I want to be like that olive tree, flourishing in the presence of the Lord, flourishing with life, flourishing with fruitfulness. Let's go back to sit on that wall again. Sorry, my time is slipping away. Very quick. We're sitting on that wall. Paul and I are sitting on that wall and I'm watching these sailing boats. In fact, there are two sailing boats come out and they both tack to start with. But then one of the sailing boats sets off east going towards Portsmouth and down the coast to the east. The other sailing boat tacks off and then sets sail southwest in a different direction going towards the Isle of Wight. They both had a destination. David also wrote Psalm 16, and Psalm 16 verse 8 said, I set the Lord always before me. I set the Lord always before me. So part of it is the Holy Spirit's initiation. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. But I also need to be active. I need to make a choice. I also need to be determined to seek. If I want to live in the presence of God, I need to set that before me. To be determined that that is the focus of my life. I want to live my life in the presence of God. You will see that the psalm has energized me. So what have we learned? We have learned there is evil in the world. Dog killed 85 priests, wives, children, babies. But God will always do what is right. And there is a day of judgment. But there is a get out of punishment card through Jesus Christ. But even in the midst of all David's disappointments, and you must imagine that he must have felt guilty, rejected by Saul, 
Where is God in all of this? Why doesn't God answer my prayers? He said, I will set the Lord always before me. I will seek to live my life like that olive tree flourishing in the presence of God, rooted in his love and in his goodness. Thank you for listening.